So thank you for listening to this episode of Bloodhound Picks, where we're going to be doing something a little special as part of our Horror Not Fear campaign, where we are doing an episode called That's Not Our Podcast, where we have a guest come on and they steal our airwaves and talk about whatever topic they desire. And so while we have little hints here and there of what the topic may be, we're also in the dark with some of it. So it's going to be fun and kind of a wild experience. And I'm glad that our first guest is Scott Murphy, who does the podcast New Horror Express. He also, we've connected with him on the Horror Not Fear campaign. And he talks about, um, through that, guilty pleasures. Um, he talks about guilty pleasure movies with former guests and so on. And then his, the podcast itself, New Horror Express, he will kind of interview filmmakers and of kind of indie horror films. And it's a great one to listen to. And I'll have him explain a little bit more than I will, but thank you for joining us, Scott. And if you want to yeah, tell anybody oh, well, or, yeah. about, about the podcast, uh, gen- and yourself. Yeah. yeah. All I know about myself. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, so the podcast is New Horror Express, as as you mentioned. It's been going now for uh, a couple of years. Uh, started at the start of 2018. Uh, it started just purely as a monthly interview podcast where I interview indie horror film directors. And yeah, I do bonus episodes every so often for you know like end of year lists and i've done a couple of specials based on dead by dawn which is a horror film festival here and i did a recent special on fright fest and like you said i've done this kind of bonus series as part of your horror not hashtag horror not fear campaign highlighting kind of guilty pleasures now the podcast the kind of remit of the podcast is like one it kind of looks at indie horror for the most part and two it really only looks at modern horror so i'm only concentrating on horror from the year 2000 onwards and so it's just guilty pleasures in that kind of time frame guilty pleasure from the last 20 years and uh, in that series and yeah it's just been all kind of former guests uh, co-hosting and there's been four episodes so far and we've done dracula 2000 cherry falls dream uh dream catcher no no there's been three episodes so far dream catcher um the next one is leprechaun in the hood and that's coming out um like next week next thursday Um, so by the time this episode airs i think it will be yeah 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 It'll be out. So, yes. So, Leprechaun in the Hood, it will be available, and you can listen to myself, um, Adam Stovall, and uh, Abe Goldfarb talking about Leprechaun in the Hood, um, which was a a lot of laughs. We had a lot of laughs. (laughs) And uh, no, I'm excited. And you can go on his social media for the podcast, and he'll. What's cool about Guilty Pleasures is you actually allow people to vote. So you kind of feel like you're connected in a way. Uh, because it was Leprechaun in the Hood versus, I can't remember now. Seed of Chucky. There we go. Uh, I think- so yes, each, it's, a, it's a monthly 
bonus series and each month we put a vote up for two films uh the next again month will actually be three films where the people will be voting on and yeah we we get people to to vote and whichever one wins the vote that's what we go with and we're also running a competition for this uh we're doing this series for a year there's gonna be 13 episodes so you can win all 13 films if you leave a review on new horror express and put the hashtag horror not fear at the end of your review so we know that it's in conjunction with the competition wow that's amazing yeah um no that's incredibly exciting and then um no adam storval or am i saying his last name right uh storval Storval, yes um he i know he just did really well on fright fest we got to see the first cut i think of uh, a ghost waits in the glasgow fright fest yeah yeah we didn't get to see the but i heard there were some variations a little bit minor is it's minor change it's mainly to do with the the score okay okay there's a bit of a different score okay Uh, yeah but it's 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 basically the same film okay no we yeah and that was kind of one of our top i think of that festival if i remember correctly yeah yeah it was one of the more fun ones for sure yeah okay so getting into our episode now we you are blessing us or (laughs) maybe we'll see (laughs) um blessing you that's a a stretch i think but yeah okay we'll go with that yeah (laughs) with your top five guilty pleasure movies and there's will be some honorable mentions as well um we kind of have a general idea what some of them may be but i know you're working with the list here and there so some of them i think we've seen some of them we haven't and that's Whenever you're ready, let's start yeah, talking about yeah. it. So, so I um, I pretty much stuck with uh, the ones I said. Um, so I feel like, much like with the episodes, the Guilty Pleasure episodes, I feel like I should give an explanation mm-hmm. for Guilty Pleasures. I yeah. think everybody has a slightly different definition when they think of Guilty Pleasures. For me, personally, I don't technically have any Guilty Pleasures because I don't feel guilty about uh, watching any particular yes. films i just you know like i like trashy movies and that's yeah, <laughs> yeah we agree as well. um so so that's all good but like it's so my basic definition for it is i also do film reviews both for my website and for sometimes for another website and it's basically any film that I enjoy and like and would happily rewatch, but I couldn't necessarily recommend it to people nor give it a good review. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which is my general definition for, for uh, guilty pleasure movies. I, that works for us, I think. Yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> We've had some of those during our review sessions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it also it leaves quite a wide it leaves quite a wide range of like so like I wouldn't necessarily say that all kind of they're like so bad they're good movies mm-hmm. are guilty pleasure movies 
all all of them are guilty pleasure movies, but not all guilty pleasure movies are so bad they're good. Yes, there's yeah. there's a I feel like there's a range of like you could get a guilty pleasure movie that is as as high as a two star, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. I don't know, like, do you want me to rattle through the kind of honorable mentions first and then get into the top five? Um, if you want to do, I guess you're, what, number five through two, and then put up... Put, five through two, then yeah, honorable okay. mentions, then, then number, number number one. one. Yeah, number yeah, one. Yeah, number yeah. one. Yeah. It's, a, it's a real treat, number one, I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... For number five, then, in my Guilty Pleasures list, I, I should also point out, because it's Guilty Pleasures horror movies, I've put Guilty Pleasure horror movies of all time, and, and it's like, it's, it's very difficult to narrow down if you include everything, all the different yeah. action movies and everything, different, you know, so I like, because it's the horror podcast, I thought I'd stick to horror, <laughs> and also this gives me the freedom to do a kind of all-time list as opposed to the just 21st century list that I'm doing with the Guilty Pleasure series. So anyway, number five is Howling 2, also known as Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, also known as Howling 2, Sturba, Werewolf Bitch. And you yeah. always know that you've got a good film on your hands when it has several alternate titles. Yes. <laughs> Now, um, yeah, if you want to give the synopsis for each one, I know, yeah, we'll pray. I know I have some stuff to say on Howling too, but yeah, okay, cool. I'll, I'll have you speak first. Okay, so that Howling Two um, kind of directly follows on from uh, Howling One. It's loosely connected. The main, the main, one of the main characters is the brother of the, the main character in Howling 1. Um, the basic plot is that there is this evil chief werewolf, Sturba, who lives in a castle somewhere in Eastern Europe, and <laughs> Christopher Lee wants to hunt her down. Uh, basically, that's and then he goes to the funeral of the original character from the, the, the original elite from the original movie, and then he is joined on this adventure to stop Sturba and her evil ways on her 10,000th birthday. Um, with by the brother of of the, the original <laughs> from Howling, uh, Karen Walton, um, who is played by. Uh, cult action star Reb Brown, um, and also a journalist named uh, Jenny. And but yeah, so but yeah, it's just it's bananas. Um, it features a weird, a weird cast. It's got Christopher Lee in it. It's got Sybil Danning in it. it. Like I said, it's got Reb Brown in it. It stars a cameo from uh, British. Actor stroke singer of the 80s and 90s, Jimmy Neal at the start. It's just it's it's bizarre. Um yeah, yeah, that, but that that's that's a bit that's a basic plot. They travel off to, to yeah. Eastern Europe and uh trying to hunt her down. Uh but a lot of other stuff happens <laughs> um and it's mainly hilarious. Yeah. So I tried Rewatch. So I think I tried watching this when I was 
really young. I tried rewatching it, I'd say six months ago or something because it was on Amazon Prime in the States here. Mm -hmm. And um, I was telling Kyle about this when we saw your initial kind of list of like, it's one of those where I watched it and then immediately after it was kind of like, I don't even remember what happened or the plot itself besides the fact that there's like that werewolf three-way thing that happens early on and <laughs> where they're kind of turning into werewolves during it or yeah besides that it's like the the plot as you mentioned is so kind of all over the place and yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting one and i don't yeah, know if I kyle think... saw it or not but <laughs> i've been... I can't remember that I've seen it. I feel like maybe I saw it a long time ago and I don't remember. I don't know. I think there's just, I mean, it's, you don't watch it for the plot after. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these movies, I mean, all of these movies, you don't watch for the plot. Uh, it's, it's just so, there's so many things that are kind of hilariously bad. Like the movie opens with Christopher Lee telling you about Sturba from a book where he is apparently in space. He's just like a kind of shadowy Obi-Wan Kenobi figure in space, and he's kind of telling you the backstory of Sturba. You know, and that's how the film opens, because of course it does. Uh, and I think like the part of what makes it so entertaining is the editing. It it's so bizarre. Like basically, what happens is I, I think obviously they couldn't afford to do kind of kills and, and film them. Like so, all the kind of kills. What what happens is like somebody will, you know, hold up an axe and then put an axe into a werewolf, and you won't see that happening. What you will see is it kind of cuts to a werewolf in like black space and an axe <laughs> entering into the werewolf you know and like that's how it's and there's all these kind and it has like i do not know how many kind of uh screen wipe time kind of dissolve <laughs> shots it has it has like every type you could imagine like the screen you know like disappears like this it disappears like this it disappears like a clock it becomes like a diamond and then and then it's just, it's just like the director's like just like just out of film school and he's just like i want to do every dissolve shot ever created and it, i mean it's utterly utterly bizarre and some of the um some of the effects are great as well like when sturba uses her kind of laser hand powers and it's just like <laughs> masters of the universe it's and she has like a staff she has a staff that's got a bat on it and like yeah the like you said there's like a werewolf threesome <laughs> the the there's all these scenes in her castle where everybody's just lounging about in S&M gear, and if they're not lounging about in S&M gear, there's, like, these old guys who are, like, 17th century French libertines with these big bouffant wigs. And, I, I mean, there's so much bizarreness in this film. There's also a great bit that's just, like, straight out of Monty Python, where Red Brown's character um, has an attack on the castle uh, with a 
dwarf guy who is an ally of Christopher Lee's character, right? And they go up to the castle. And now, the the castle is guarded by one centurion who has like this massive medieval helmet, but he also has a machine gun. And then, yes. and then, and he is taken out by the dwarf who throws a knife at him, and he like. It's the, the, the pure comedy gold how he dies. He, he just he just kind of does the classic kind of and then collapse and then they just go into the cat. It's um uh yeah it's, it's utterly utterly bananas and um yeah that character that that dwarf character because like um Starba has like these weird these weird powers um, that she can, like, use her voice to kind of drive you mad or something. Um, and you have to use these kind of uh, wax earplugs that are blessed from the Vatican to stop that happening. And um, so the dwarf guy loses his earplugs and then it basically allows... He hears the voice and it makes him go mad. And then it cuts to, like, a really rubbery looking puppet head and his eyes just explode <laughs> out his head. I mean there's I mean there's so much back to, to this movie. Uh, but the greatest thing is genuinely it has one of the all-time great 80s horror theme tunes that like it is I would say it is almost rival to Dream Warriors as a great 80s um <laughs> theme tune. And um, and you really have to like this theme tune because it is played roughly a dozen times throughout <laughs> the movie, including in the opening and in credits. So um, so yeah, and and the end credits just play over. But the, the the end credits are like a basically a highlight reel of of the film. It like just yes. goes over the the film. And there's this one scene in the movie. Where Sybil Danning like rips her top off, exposing her breasts, and that is like somebody um, the director did an interview, and it was found out that that happens in the end credits. It's replayed seventeen times in the end credits. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a, it's a completely ridiculous movie, and um, yeah, and that's why it's my number five. I really okay. enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> That's great, and maybe I'll rewatch it. I know Kyle. I mean, now I'm gonna watch yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hear that number four then. Oh, so okay, so uh, number four is uh, the the wonderfully titled "The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein." Okay. Okay. So I don't think we've. I don't think I. I know the name, but I don't yeah. know if I've. Is this, seen it. is this an Andy Warhol one or a uh, Hammer? No, the, no, the 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 Andy Warhol one is is Flesh for Frankenstein, yeah, which okay, is also okay. very entertaining. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, there's like the the Andy Warhol movies. Like I can't remember the director of those movies, but um, uh, they're very fun. The Flesh for Frankenstein yeah. and uh, Blood for Dracula. Yeah, they they would be they're they're very good. Uh, guilty pleasure movies and I, I would I highly recommend people check out as well um no the the erotic rights of frankenstein is directed by the spanish film director um jess franco 
who oh, is okay. is yeah. like uh, kind of he directly. I mean, like so. This movie was made in 1972, and Jess Franco directed like nine films in, in that year. <laughs> um, so, like you can you can tell um, the quality of. I mean, like honestly, he directed something like over 200 films okay. even dedicated jess franco fans which there are some um, <laughs> um I've, I've most i don't think anybody's seen all of his films okay. uh there, there there's there's too much so basically he's he he's a weird director uh, he, <laughs> i don't know like maybe if his shoots were longer he like he it's like some of his films are actually kind of kind of semi good like there's you know he directed some films in in, in the early 60s like called there's one called the awful dr orloff um, mm -hmm. which is kind of an eyes without face ripoff but like it's pretty decent and um there you know in some of his um some of his films have kind of some competency about them uh, but because he he's shot on such low budgets and so quickly and just kept pumping it out like they vary from being like hilarious guilty pleasures to kind of some of them kind of having kind of interesting artistic moments to some of them being completely and utterly unwatchable <laughs> um and so yeah so i kind of included this because like i felt like i needed to include a jess franco film like there's it was between this and he also directed a very entertaining um, 80s slasher called Bloody Moon that has a, a great a great finale that involves a circular saw. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this movie, however, is it's just I picked it because it's just utterly bizarre. It's okay. it, it basically the basic plot is this. Dr. Frankenstein um, creates his monster. He brings Frankenstein's monster alive, and but he basically does this in the very first scene. Okay. Um, his monster is then kidnapped and stolen by a kind of henchman and a blind birdwoman who is basically just wearing a cloak, is naked with kind of feathers attached to her and kind of has like hand glove kind of claws that are also or... kind of talons yeah. uh a kind of yeah a kind of feathery glove <laughs> with with talons on the end and and she's a bird woman uh and so yeah the monster is kidnapped by them uh and frankenstein dr frankenstein is killed along with his assistant morpho who's played by jess franco himself and is kind of like an igor type character uh, and he frankenstein's monster who is just a hilarious creation because it literally this frankenstein monster is just a kind of you know big dude spray painted silver that's that's all they've done um and <laughs> yeah and then they've got like this kind of weird head bit that they've kind of to make him more kind of Frankenstein-y but like it's like it's so badly done you can kind of see the kind of stitching of where it's 
where it, where it all kind of hangs together. Okay. Um, it's it's hilarious. But it, anyway, uh, he's kidnapped, and then he, they take him, the bird woman and the henchman, take him to this wizard called Caliostro, who is trying to create a new race uh, called the, the Pantos race uh, to dr- destroy humanity. Uh, and then... Frankenstein's daughter, Vera Frankenstein, then has to try and track down Cagliostro at his castle uh, to get vengeance for the murder of his father, or her father. And she does this because initially she doesn't know who kidnapped the monster and killed her, her father. But using Frankenstein's own technology, she brings Frankenstein briefly to life. Uh, to to kind of get the requisite information, and um, again the plot is largely beside <laughs> the point, but um, it's 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 hilarious. And so the the wizard guy Caliostro is played by a guy called Howard Vernon, who has like the the best crazy eyes this side of Marty Feldman, and he uh, basically communicates a large portion of his what he's thinking his dialogue through the bird woman so like a large part of his role just happen just him kind of staring at the bird woman like this and then he, <laughs> that's him telepathically uh sending the message to uh to to the bird woman and yeah there's a, a whole bunch of crazy shit happens in this movie as well and a lot of cheapness and um, when you see the kind of Pantos race, it's it's really it's really very funny. And there's a gr- there's a great scene where uh, Vera Frankenstein is kind of tied up with the henchman who like pisses off Cagliostro, so he doesn't want anything to do with them. And he has to they basically gets Frankenstein's monster to punish them by kind of whipping them. And the first fault people. The first one to fall onto these kind of nails that are like really rubbery looking, um, <laughs> it basically dies, and the the person who d- doesn't do that can can survive can survive. And there's a whole a whole bunch of things. Also, the Frankenstein is again brought back to life, uh, <laughs> and another another doctor who is trying to follow uh, Frankenstein, trying to save her. He basically comes across Frankenstein, reanimates him briefly to get the clues, but then completely reanimates him. And then Frankenstein attacks him. And then the police the police inspector who is accompanying him uh, manages to kill Frankenstein by Dr. Frankenstein by throwing sulfuric acid on him. And he just like kind of melts. And then like and then and then the guy is like Frankenstein was strangling this this other doctor. Uh, and then the, he just yeah he just melts and then the other doctor like it just cuts to the other doctor still having the hands on him but like bloody stumps and just the hands and then he just kind of takes them off and goes oh and that's that's that and then we move on and i'm going to the castle so is that one um easy to kind of find or is it like some I, of franco's it, is it harder it was quite hard, okay. but um, Redemption uh, put out a DVD in the UK 
and okay. I think the US as well. So it is actually so it has like different cuts of the movie. Like the <laughs> DVD I've got is like German, and the it's a slightly longer cut. Uh, but it doesn't matter because the, the cut I no literally it doesn't. So the cut I have is like there is an actress called Lena Romney, okay, who Franco often worked with and then ended up marrying, and she's she's in a bunch of his movies, but and she's in this movie kind of in the longer cut scenes with her as a gypsy girl that have are completely unconnected to the rest of the plot. So are, you don't need to watch them. Um, but the, So the cut that is in the Redemption uh, DVD that is available on Amazon Prime here, I don't know if it's available on Amazon Prime in the States, okay. is slightly, it's about 10 minutes shorter, uh, but it has, it just has the Lima Romney uh, scenes cut out and that's all. And like I say, they are literally... They do not have anything connected to the 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 doctors, Doctor Doctor Vera Frankenstein, the other doctor, the the whole plot of Caliostro. It's just she has like this weird narration, um, and she's just this gypsy girl in the woods. It's I I don't know. It makes it kind of even more insane. But yeah, you really you really don't need it. So like I say, it is available on Amazon Prime here in the UK, but um, you would need to check it out in the states. Okay. Oh, thank you. Oh, maybe we'll. Try and use that for an episode or something. If Kyle, he's our researcher on that. If he can I could go down that. that rabbit hole. There, I, <laughs> I know there's some of his stuff is on Shutter here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that one is. But, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, like I say, if you're going to check out a Franco film, you know, that one's a very entertaining one to to cover. Um, Bloody Moon's very entertaining. And uh, the fantastically titled uh, "Vampiros Lesbos" is, oh, yeah. uh, is, is very is very fun as well. I would utterly avoid um, o- "Oasis of the Zombies" uh, because, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, if, if you want to find out what eighty minutes of zombies bumbling around a desert is like, <laughs> then they get to "Oasis of the Zombies." Otherwise. Do not what I do what I did and dig into Oasis of the Zombies. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that up to Kyle. What, I how mean, far he wants to go down that hole. I'll probably look at it. <laughs> Bloodhound Podcast is part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network, produced by Josh Lee, Craig Drum, and Kyle Hintz. Music by Raymond C. Editing by Kyle Hintz.